You're listening to Worshipology with Curtis Parks, a biblical, practical, and spiritual conversation about living and leading worship. Let's lean into today's episode. Today I'm in Nashville, Tennessee, hanging out with my main man, Patrick McDermott. What's up, man? What's up, man? Glad you're here. So, dude, I mean, Patrick has such a cool story. We're going to get into all of this. 23 years old, worship leader. Uh, we're going to talk about leading worship as a Gen Zer, leading worship with Gen Zers. Yeah. We're going to talk about a little bit of revival. You were at Asbury, so yeah. you saw yeah. firsthand. So good. So and good. Uh, and then we're going to talk about leading worship at a church plant Love because it. you know you've been at Bridges Nashville, the church that I got to plant back in 2018. You're the worship pastor there. You travel around, lead at other church plants, mm-hmm. so you got a really good handle on that. It's going to really help out everybody. So, uh, Man, Patrick, just for those who may not know you, man, just kind of introduce yourself and tell us how you got involved in ministry, bro. Yeah, so I'm uh, I, still in Nashville. I grew up in Nashville, uh, born and raised, which is a unicorn. Which, I was going to say, that's super say, rare. It's super not rare. not commonly found. Everyone else is a transplant, so I'm honored to be one of the the few and the proud few of and the proud. stuck in Nashville forever. <laughs> Yeah, so I grew up around here. My dad moved down here before I was born to pursue music. He was doing mm-hmm. songwriting, country songwriting, playing shows uh, six, seven nights a week. Mm-hmm. So I basically grew up with a guitar in hand. I nice. uh, kind of knew my destiny was somewhere in music. And uh, <laughs> from a young age, I was like, yeah, that's it. I'm going to be a rock star. I'm just going to go to school for it, maybe drop out, do all that. And by the time I was 13 or 14 is when I really got serious about playing music and really mm. decided that college was what I was going to do. I was going to learn music in some way, shape, or form. Uh, but it wasn't until high school that I started going to church. So I grew up in a wow. family that we didn't go to church on Sundays. It was kind of a cultural thing around us. Um, but I grew up in a Christian school, so I heard the school, like the, all the Bible stories from uh-huh. such a young age. And uh, yeah, it wasn't until freshman year that I got invited to a church, started going because I had some friends there just found a really good community and then joined the worship team for Wednesday nights with youth ministry, fell in love with that. Cause you know, it was basically in my mind at the beginning, it was playing a gig with some of my favorite people in the world right, every right. week. Um, and it wasn't until I was about 16 or 17 that God really pointed out the ministry aspect of it. Mm. So getting ready to choose a college, you know, I was like, I needed somewhere that I could focus on music, but I could also find a good ministry backing That's good. to that because I just really felt God, from that point on, and even still today, still changing my life in a lot of ways about that, just saying, hey, this is what worship ministry really looks like. This yeah. is what the ministry side yeah. of it looks like. So I decided on Lipscomb University, got to go there and study music production in a studio setting. So I was in studios so many nights a week, <laughs> no sleep at all whatsoever throughout nice. college. And I uh, also had a chance to help start the worship ministry program there. Wow. So when I went in, there wasn't much of anything. There were a bunch of ministry school, like Bible classes, all this kind of stuff, a lot of majors for ministry and church and everything like that, but they didn't have anything for worship ministry. Wow. And now they've got a program of about 30 or 40 students. Amazing. You know, just a few years later. Yeah. So you were the guinea pig of all that. Yeah. Oh That's my gosh. That's crazy, man. Yeah, here, I, even here in your studio uh, in Nashville, I think it's really cool because, I mean, if you know Patrick, like you are like geared towards like late night staying up. You're always out <laughs> hanging out in studios and everything. But late I nights love the, and a lot of coffee. The That's thing I it. love about you the most is that you're just such a people person. Like mm. I, I just remember when we first met, 
Um, you know, I would go on Lipscomb's campus because so much of our church ministry was to college students. And yeah. I would go on to Lipscomb's campus and we would literally walk from one side of the campus to the next. And we couldn't get five steps without <laughs> somebody running up, hugging you or stopping oh, you. And I just think there's such a, a powerful thing about the relational aspect of leading worship mm. that you really lean into. And, Thank you know, you. appreciate that. I planted Nashville uh, Bridges Nashville 2018, uh, met you at the end of that year. Mm-hmm. You came to a Christmas service. Yeah. And then um, I find out you're an incredible guitarist, you're a worship leader. Mm. And so right before COVID hits, uh, <laughs> you join our worship team. And I try to lead on a Sunday and then <laughs> I get sick and then we come back and COVID Crazy. took over. <laughs> Crazy. And the very first ever video worship that we did, you were a part of that leading mm-hmm. alongside me. And really throughout that entire 2020, I mean, you were the guy that was just stewarding that whole worship movement mm-hmm. that we had at Bridges and raising up other worship leaders, imparting everything you could. And then when we went to a house church movement, not only did you lead worship, but you led two house churches. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just, yeah. and it's just such a, a testament to... The, the way that you live isn't for the stage, it's mm. for the living room. Mm. It's for those moments that, and I think for worship leaders that are listening, we can't miss that relational component that we have with our, if we just live for Sundays on a stage, we're missing 99% of what God's given us in ministry. Talk to, talk to us a little bit about your approach with all that. Like, how do you, um, I mean, obviously you're an extrovert, but even <laughs> extroverts can burn out. Like, how do you yeah. keep going and not get... Um, super tired, but also like have that energy for yourself and for others. Yeah. I mean, figuring that out wasn't without fail and I'm still, mm. I'm still learning every day with that. Yeah. Um, a lot of college, you know, obviously living in a dorm, living with multiple people still to this day, I have three roommates. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm always around people and I'm able to reel back. And I, like you said, I am an extreme extrovert and I'm super <laughs> grateful for that. Yeah. But I think Something that I feel like you poured into me more than anyone else was just the idea of discipleship and understanding mm. what that looks like. Yeah. You know, through high school, I was in a ministry where, you know, it was it was literally so strange to see this because it was a church where their youth ministry was nearing 200 students every Wednesday night. Mm. And then weekends, they still had all the students there. So I was always constantly around a ton of people. Yeah. Um, I had a few people that were like super close to me, some of my best friends that are still some of my best friends today, which that's a huge blessing as well. But it wasn't until college and like stepping into bridges, stepping into what house church looked like to realize that discipleship is so important in that. If you mm. don't have your core group of people, your core group of accountability, you're going to burn out because you're around people all the time. Yeah. And I don't think it's necessarily the people, but it's not having the people in place that will hold you down. Wow. Hold you accountable with that. Yeah. Talk to us a little bit about leading worship in a house church. Um, because that was something that was so special. The environments that were created, the nights where we just worship for 45 minutes to an hour with no agenda, no song charts in front of us. 45 what, what minutes to an like? hour was the shorter nights. Yeah, I know. We had, I mean, you guys would leave the house church oh, that would dude. go to like midnight and I mean, it was just like the most had, community. Yeah, all we had were college students. None of them yeah. were planning to go to bed till like three or four in the morning anyway. Nice. So they'd stay at our house till almost midnight. We'd start at six or seven. Wow. And so we'd just go for hours on end. And I think it just created these super special moments, not only for us as leaders, but also for people who were burnt out of the church. Like, there were mm-hmm. so many students that came through our doors that never wanted to walk into a church building again. Yeah. They were super broken and beaten by past church leaders, past churches they had been a part of, but also just wanted to spend time with people they loved and trusted. Mm. So I think, you know, being able to invite someone in for a meal and just some time of fellowship and worship is a lot easier than inviting some people to church nowadays. Wow. What does it look like to lead worship in a house church, but keep that excellence factor? Because that's something that we talked about all the time. And you did it well. I appreciate that. I uh, 
you know, I think it, I had to break my perfection mindset. Mm. Um, I was stuck so much in looking at studio work and I spent hours on hours doing session guitar work and drums and stuff for people, uh, students throughout the week. That became like a part-time job almost as a student. Wow. But whenever you get into worship, you have to understand that if you're, if you're scheduling out the perfection, you're scheduling away from the Holy Spirit. Hmm. So if you're not able to sit in a moment where you let the Holy Spirit lead, you know, whether that's, you saw it, we had people get prayed for or for healing. We had moments where we just felt like we needed to confess and repent. We had moments where we just had to sit in worship and prayer for hours on end. Mm. So we were able to really just change our discernment to listen for that. Yeah. It was a lot less of, okay, we need to make sure we go into this song at this very moment to, you know, let's stay in this moment for a second. Mm -hmm. Let's see what God wants to say to us. Mm -hmm. And opening the floor as well to everyone in the room. I think when you take away the stage, it takes away the platform that makes people feel like they're not enough. Say that again. When you take away the stage, it takes away the platform that makes people feel like they're not wow. enough. Wow, that's so good, man. In it, our in our youth ministry, even we had a stage that was you know three or four inches off the floor, but it gave this random kind of authority, which you know to a point was really good because mm. you have authority of leadership that can pour into students, but it also made some of the students that were coming in feel like they weren't enough because mm-hmm. they weren't serving, they weren't stepping into whatever that leadership needed to be. So they felt like they couldn't contribute. Wow. When you step into a living room, everyone's part of the conversation. Everyone's part of the team. Wow. I love that because it doesn't make an us versus them kind of thing. It just brings everybody together. That's one of the things even I was talking with a, a worship pastor who they have a 40 member choir earlier Dude, this week. That's sweet. And it was talking about the idea of like a choir is an extension of the congregation on stage. It kind of closes that gap of like us and them. These are the musicians. These are the worshipers and yeah. we're the congregation. And I mean, obviously there is the reality of that, but let's talk a little bit about church plant world too, because Man. I mean, that's got the crazy thing is like, I mean, I moved down here in 2017. We planted bridges in 2018. We're meeting in a music venue, kind of like most churches around the country with a different bent towards teaching through worship mm-hmm. house church happens uh, i feel called back into worship ministry and so bridges is still continuing as a thriving church downtown nashville today but kind of going more towards that meeting together at the music venue that's the thing about a church plant i mean it's like you're not when you change direction it's not changing an ocean liner but it's more of like changing direction on a motorboat yeah and, and you can kind of pay attention to what god's speaking in that season and and shift and what has it been like for you you were a worship leader when I was lead pastor. You're a worship leader now with a great lead pastor, Adonis Lindsay. Uh, different directions, different styles, but you've kind of been this anchor piece throughout mm. all of that. What's it like to lead worship at a church plant? The good, the bad, the ugly. Dude, I the best way I can say it is, so when you step into ministry, you wear a lot of hats. Yeah. When you step into church plant, you wear twice as many hats. <laughs> that's good. It's That's the best way I can explain it. I think it's not only being available to whatever God has, mm. but also being open to fulfill any need that's possible. That's so good. You know, there's still some Sundays where I'll be up in the booth. Instead of leading worship, I'll be, you know, helping out hospitality set up sometimes and just trying to do a little bit of everything because mm-hmm. with a small church plant, you don't have a ton of people. Yeah, um, It's a great blessing to have, you know, the team we do, but sometimes it's hard to schedule out Sundays, trying to have a full band a couple Sundays a month. Mm-hmm. Um, we're doing two or we're doing three Sundays total. So we only have to schedule out teams for that, which is awesome. But it somehow God has so provided just the perfect amount of people to be filling in on every Sunday, as wow. well as being able to bring them back around to be poured into on another Sunday. That's so cool. Which is so incredible. I think the moment I stopped worrying about 
you know, trying to fulfill the team aspect and more so just letting God lead in who I need to ask and what we need to do on a Sunday, that's when people stop getting burnt out. Mm. Most of our team is college students and they're already, you know, overburdened with one to two jobs, full-time classes. Most of them are music students. They've got performances and lessons to practice for. And then I'm asking them to play a set on Sunday morning and lead worship with us, which Mm. is just another aspect that's adding on to their heavy workload. Mm. The moment I sat down with, you know, our drummer, for instance, and our bass players and was like, hey, if you need to step back, you know, listen to what God's calling you to. Mm-hmm. Like, take a moment and really just assess where you need to be, because I want to like more than anything, I want to champion them on. Yeah. I don't need them to be there every single Sunday. I need them to be growing spiritually. Yeah. And if I'm not pouring into my team that way, then I'm noticing that they're going to burn out and they're going to step away because, you know, you don't have a big team. Yeah. So. You know, this week I was actually sitting down with 20 to 23 teams of church planters that are uh, mm-hmm. it's CMN Church Multiplication so Network. So good. They do these launch Shout events and just team. train. I know, right? They train church planters and equip them for their future church plants. And uh, some of them are launching multi-sites. Others are launching house churches. Others are launching churches and music venues and theaters and everything yeah. in between. And one of the conversations that popped up was like, what does a church planter really, what does a lead pastor look for in a worship leader? And as I'm hearing you talk about, it really just flexibility, mm-hmm. but not afraid of structure. Yeah. And so, and so the guy who's leading CMN, Jeffrey Portman, great guy. And he, he came up with this term flexture. 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 I like that. And it's the flexibility, but it's structure. So it's not, you're not tied to systems so much that you can't pivot if you need to, but you're also not so loosey goosey with the flexibility that you have no foundation or baseline. That's so I good. think that's the key in a, a church plant. Whether you paint that on this wall. I know, flexture. right? Flexure. That's good. That is going to be on t-shirts coming up. Come on now. But, but one of the things that I, I've always noticed in you is that, yeah, any role that needs to be filled, you'll fill it. And the blessing behind what you do is like, <laughs> you can get on the drum set, you can get on keys, you can get on bass, electric. And if you, if you guys could see the studio, he has all of those instruments in here right now, except a drum set, but he does have a cajon. That's downstairs though. Don't nice. Worry. Okay. So everything, but, but having that ability, and I think for the worship leaders listening, it's such a key um, benefit when you can play more than one instrument. Mm. Um, you know, even if you're just on keys and, you know, you have to transpose and can play in the key of C or, you know, even if you just play root notes on the bass, um, having that, uh, extra ability to fill in where it's needed. Mm -hmm. And then Patrick with the audio stuff, you know, jumping up on the sound booth, you can do that as well. Talk to me about how you, um, you know, I mean, it's load in, tear down every Sunday. <laughs> um, but what I love about you is you, you kind of make that more of like, a, it's not a hassle or a burden. It's like a, it's another event. Like I just always remember loading up the trailer with you <laughs> and everybody was just like smiling ear to ear. Like, how do you keep that joyful mentality in a church plant where it is a grind? It, it can yeah. be like soup. You can, it can veer into that burdensome world rather than a blessing just from a leadership standpoint. I, I think there are a lot of things that go into that. First off, um, and I've heard you talk about this a lot. It's remembering why we're doing what we're doing. Mm, you know, I was, I was helping out with a worship night uh, a couple of weeks ago and the MD before this last song, it was an hour and a half. We had 35 minutes of flow time where we had nothing planned. Wow. So it was like on, on paper, it would be the most stressful night. <laughs> and we were just like following the team. It went so well. Um, yeah. There were probably like 50 or 60 people there worshiping. As we went into the last song, which was... Uh, it was some super upbeat Todd Galbraith song. So we were like having to be high energy, just yeah. run with it. The MD was like, hey, listen, for all we know, we could be celebrating another life saved. 
Wow. You know, they just gave a moment that was an altar call. And while we were all exhausted, most of the team had been there since like 6 a.m. It was almost 9 p.m. at that point. Wow. They were the MD. He was just saying, remember why we're doing this. Mm. Remember the moment when your life changed and think that could be someone out there right now. So good. So I think first off, just anchoring your mindset and understanding why you're serving in a church, why you wanted to serve in ministry in the first place. Yeah. That, you know, not everything is going to be the pretty Sundays where you have the beautiful choir behind you, the full mm-hmm, team. Mm-hmm. No one misses a note. Very few Sundays are actually like that. Oh, I know. And you know that. <laughs> you know that. So I think just remembering why you're doing it and also getting to understand that, you know, that's your community. That's your team. That's so good. even if it is loading up a trailer, even if it is, you know, sweeping the floors of your venue, whatever that looks like, you know, getting to know that. You're doing life with your team. Yeah. I think that's just such a cool thing. Yeah. And that God is calling your team to that specific thing that he's not calling anyone else to in this moment. Wow. I think the cool thing about you is that, you know, you do know when somebody has a life change because you know your people, (laughs) you know, the people in your team, you know, the people in the community. And I mean, you know, Bridges has always kind of been a smaller church. And the community aspect is just unescapable. I mean, yeah. you can't hide in a church plant. That's the you thing. You definitely like, can't. If you want to go to church and just sit on the back row and not have anything to do with anything that's happening, I don't recommend going to a church plant. No. Because it's like you will be seen, but big. also <laughs> you'll be known. Like you'll be oh, seen yeah. and you'll be known. And I think that's a beautiful thing about when you're leading a ministry, keep in mind that it's always about people. Jesus was in the people business, man, first Come and on. foremost. Now, I got to ask you this. You're you're 23 years old Mm -hmm. um, and just hanging out with you for as long as we've been able to be friends. Like it just blows my mind that the level of maturity, the level of heart that you have, Mm. you give me hope for like Generation Z and for my kids who are 10 and eight coming up in the church right now. It's so easy to get skeptical. And look, I'm 40 years old. Side note, we actually share the same birthday. That's what's up. Uh, April, April 21st. 21st. Come what's on now. <laughs> so uh, you're like my worship son. You're 17 years younger than me. My dad had me at 17. And so there's just so many cool tie-ins. But worship dad in the house. That's what's up. But I just think, you know, there's such an easy, oh, you know, the younger generation, they just don't get it. And, and I've never felt that way because of worship leaders like you. Mm. Talk to me a little Appreciate bit about that. the heart of Generation Z. What is it like to lead as a Gen Zer? And what is it like for those listeners who maybe you are of an older generation um, to really reach Gen Z at a heart level? Dude, there's the, the only word I can think to describe Gen Z right now is hungry. Wow. There's a deep, deep hunger for the Lord. There's a deep Mm. thirsting for the Lord. They're just really excited for whatever God has. I mean, I was at a worship night last night that uh, it's a ministry here in town called Consecrate where there were 160 students at a little house in Franklin. Wow. That's a, it's a Hispanic church and they have a beautiful space, but it was packed out. And I think 90% of them were, you know, ages like 15 to 25. That's amazing. So there are just so many people that are so expectant and so excited for what God is doing. And I think what's really cool about it is for the most part of the students I've worked with and the college students and young adults is that not only are they excited, but they're willing to learn because mm. you know, you can't really, you can't expect God to do something if you're not willing to spend the time to learn from. Him. Wow. That's, I mean, that's the biggest thing. If you're not spending that time in the upper room, you're not spending time in his presence, then how are you going to see a move of God and realize it's a move mm, of God? Wow, that's good, man. So there's just this new, there's even a new discipline, I would say. Like, I've never seen so many students that are just consistently reading their Bible, consistently spending time in prayer, consistently checking in on their people. Wow. And it's beautiful to see. I mean, 
I appreciate all what you said about me, but it's like, I look to people who are five, six years younger than me now. And I'm like, I want to be like that. Wow. And that's, that's so inspiring. Yeah. That's so inspiring to know that, you know, the hands of the future church are like so good. Yeah. It's in such good hands. Well, if you're always hungry for the Lord, you're going to be constantly seeking. Yeah. Constantly on your knees. And I think one of the things we've said on this podcast before is if you're full of yourself, you can't be hungry for God. Right. And so there's, it doesn't seem like there's a a level of pride Mm -hmm. in in this generation as maybe in generations past. Now, now as a worship leader, that is a Gen Zer, Mm -hmm. how do you lead a hungry generation? How do you lead from that mentality? Yeah. How do you sit with someone who's a college student that you know, just failed a midterm, has to retake a class, has student loan debt, like all this kind of stuff. How do you sit in their shoes, but also stay hungry for the Lord and understand Mm. that he is still good? How do you sit through tragedy and understand that he is still good? I mean, we had Mm. a a school shooting this past week Mm. um, and it's such a sad situation, but it's understanding that the Lord is still good. And Mm -hmm. how do you get into the mindset of students that you're leading people that you're leading, you know, it doesn't have to be younger or older. It's just, how do you get back to the presence of God and understand that he is still good? Yeah. Just a vulnerable moment right now, but yeah, I mean, it's been all over the news this week, the Mm -hmm. shooting that happened. And, you know, I had a coffee with a buddy this morning uh, who was really just wrestling with like, how do you find hope in the midst of all that? Like, how do you not just get dark and depressed and just realize the culture is going so far away from God? But I think it's moments like what you just said. It's like, as a people of God, we have no choice but to have that hope of Mm -hmm. Christ. Like, yes, God, the Holy Spirit is at work within us and Christ is coming back for his bride. And and as the church, like we've got to live every single day with hope. I can't affect what's happening in culture at large, but I can affect what's happening in the circle of influence that God has given me. I can affect what's happening in my family of four and helping them live with hope and helping them be the light and the salt that Jesus called us to be. And I think as worship leaders, that's our call right there is to live out the hope, live out the faith that we have, writing songs of hope and Mm -hmm. faith and living in that every single day and realizing that there are people that walk into our churches every single weekend who are at the end of their rope. They're just hopeless. They are lost. They're dark and depressed. And how do you pull them out of the mire? It's not on you. It's on Jesus. So helping them see Mm -hmm. that he is good. He is faithful. I, I would say one of the jobs of a worship leader is putting a magnifying glass on the character of God and just saying, this is our God. This is who he is. And I think right now our world really, really needs that, man. You know, you got to go up to Asbury Mm -hmm. a few weeks ago. And it's interesting because how quick does our culture move on? Like I haven't heard anything about Asbury in the last three weeks. Now it was not even a month ago, you know, so it's like, it's like, it's already kind of like, oh, that's yesterday's news. But man, no, like God did a work there. You got to go up there and experience that. Yeah. I think that talks a lot about this generation being hungry, but just expound on that for a moment. Like, what does that look like to live with a constant hunger and yeah. to be desperate for a revival? Dude, absolutely. I think if you, if, if the church at large walked with that expectancy daily, I mean, just imagine where it wow. would be. Wow. You know, I think there was, and not that, you know, I'm not looking back at this and saying, man, it stinks that Asbury isn't still going on because, mm-hmm. you know, they're still going to have to go to classes. They're still going to have to work. They're still going to have to do this. It was a random kind of moment that I think God highlighted to say, hey, don't forget who I am. Wow. And going up to Asbury, you know, I could talk about that for hours. Mm. It was a Monday night that my roommate and I decided, 
hey, let's go in the morning. So mm-hmm. we drove up, you know, it was like a three hour drive. It wasn't too bad. So we drove up, got there middle of the day. And there were probably 1,600 people in this room just worshiping. It was the most pure act of worship I've ever seen. Wow. You know, the room was shaking. No one was playing instruments at the point. It was like a break where everyone was just singing out, what a beautiful name. Wow. And it literally brought me to tears within moments of being in that room. It was just so, so incredible to see, you know, there were probably, I don't know. Yeah. 1,600 people and however many different ages represented. Yeah. It was you know, elderly people down to little kids that wow. people like their family, all of them came. Amazing. So getting to just walk in that expectancy and understand, you know, if we truly believe that God did all he did in the Bible, why are we not walking with that daily? Yeah. Why are we not walking with 10 times that expectancy? Yep. I mean, I probably heard 40 different testimonies from the stage in the mm. day I was at Asbury and seeing the life change that came just from that week of mm. thousands of people praying and coming together from across the world just to see what God was doing. Yeah. And I think it was also, I want to commend them for shepherding it so well, because they didn't let anyone except for Asbury students, faculty, and staff speak from that stage. Wow. Which I think is so important. Yep. So often, I mean, we, you and I could talk for hours on celebrity church culture, mm-hmm. how that's such a big thing. And not that, a, not that a big platform is a bad thing at all. I think it's a great thing. Mm. But if it's not shepherded well, then you don't deserve it. Yeah, that's so good, man. I think that's the key is to live daily with that expectancy. And one of the things, you know, and I think we were at a conference together when we heard a pastor say this, that our only limitation is our expectation. And so if you live with an expectation that, you know, God is a distant God and he may move or he may rescue us from our situations and that's going to play out in your everyday life. And the faith that you live with is going to be pretty small. But if you Mm -hmm. live with an expectancy that man, every single day that I have is an opportunity for God to move in and through me. Every meeting that I have with somebody, God could show up every single time I, you know, walk into a room is God's presence there with me. If you live with that kind of expectancy, then revival happens every single day, man. It's true. I love it, dude. Well, listen, in our few moments that we've got left, I'm going to ask you a question. I've been asking every worship leader this year. What is the Holy Spirit speaking to you right now for this season that we're in? Uh, maybe something for the the church at large that God has just been really pouring into your heart. Man, I my phrase that I've been anchoring on for the past few months is being open-handed and available. Ooh, that's and good. And what God's saying to us as far as bridges and saying to me directly this past two weeks is throw the plans out the window. <laughs> let God move. Nice, nice. And let that, you know, I got to put a little side note there. You know, don't throw every plan out the window. But- if you feel like God wants you to change something in your daily life, in your Sunday morning, whatever that looks like, be willing for him to move. Cause I can guarantee his plan is way better than something you plan out. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, just being open-handed, ready for whatever God pushes you towards, mm. um, and seeking his presence daily. Wow. You know, I mean, you see the setup I've got here. I try to spend time in worship every day and it's hard. It's really hard to get that in. Cause I, I mean, sometimes I just don't prioritize it well. Mm. I fall short. Mm. And, you know, God's like, hey, come back to me. Mm. I'm like, oh, yeah, my bad. My bad. I'm on the way. <laughs> and it's it's so evident that when you have that high expectancy and match that with your availability, wow, it's unstoppable. That's good, Patrick. Be available. Be willing to throw your plans out the window. That's so good, man. 
Well, dude, this conversation has blessed me. I hope it's blessed you as you listen. I got to be honest, Patrick's not only a great worship leader, awesome <laughs> dude, but phenomenal barista. What was hey, the drink that I just had? That was a honey cinnamon latte. This guy can make a coffee drink like nobody else. Now that, uh, clink, yep, now that I've finished my coffee, we finished this episode, I just want to say uh, I love you, man. You're a true gem and uh, excited for where God's leading you. And love you. Appreciate you, man. You've been listening to Worshipology with Curtis Parks. To learn more and to find resources for worship leaders and teams, you can visit curtisparks.com.